Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it is in your pew Bible and is on uh, page 835 in the pew Bible. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is God's word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's holy and inspired word. You may be seated. I invite uh, Dr. Lloyd Kim uh, to come up. Dr. Uh, Kim is uh, the coordinator for Mission to the World. You may not be familiar with that organization. It is our denominational uh, missions organization. And uh, it actually is a little bit of trivia, the largest Presbyterian mission force in the history of the world. So it's a, uh, it's a wonderful thing that where we have missionaries all over the globe. Uh, Lloyd and I met uh, several years ago when he first took uh, this position. And uh, one, uh, very impressed with him and his family, his wife, Ida is a physician. He has three children and uh, as a, as a, a dedicated father. He has his doctorate in uh, New Testament studies. He served as a missionary in the Philippines where our own Rich Wolf at, at one time was also a missionary. He is also a missionary in Cambodia. So he knows what missions is like on the ground and he also knows what it's like in seeking to lead us as a church in the area of mission. And uh, your leadership has been greatly greatly appreciated, uh, as well as your friendship. So I want to thank you for that. And so let me pray for you as we uh, prepare to, to look at God's word. Father, I, I thank you for Lord. I thank you for the heart that you have given him, that he knows you, he loves you, that you know him and you love him. And Lord, he's your servant. And so we pray, Spirit, that you would fill him and use him today. We, we need to hear from you. We need to hear your voice. And so use him, O oh Lord, to point our attention to you and to stir up our hearts so that our hearts are aligned with yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. I, uh, I do really want to express a very heartfelt thank you uh, to Village 7 Presbyterian Church for all of your prayers, all of your support for the ministries of Mission to the World and especially the missionaries whom you love and who love you dearly. Uh, and it is a privilege for me to be here to open up God's word and share his message with you this morning. As was mentioned, uh, Pastor uh, Mark shared that our family had the privilege of serving in Southeast Asia as missionaries for 10 years. Question, who is the most respected or who was the most respected king in Southeast Asia? I would argue that it was the former king of Thailand Uh, You see, uh, the king, the former king in Thailand wasn't simply a figurehead. Uh, They did have a parliament, uh, but he was revered. He was adored by his subjects. He had real influence over them. Some of you might have remembered a few years ago, there was conflict in Thailand, civil unrest, and uh, whole hordes of people would be out on the streets protesting and and, uh, demonstrating And when it got really bad, it would only take the king of Thailand 
to stand up before his subjects and to tell them, stop your demonstrations, behave as Ty ought to behave. And at that, the people would drop their signs, pick up their stuff and go home. Could you imagine that happening here? <laughs> Do you realize, beloved, that we also have a king? His name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say, well, his people don't really respect him very much? Or do they say at his command, they will drop everything and follow in obedience? Today we are going to look at this very familiar passage the passage of what we call the Great Commission. And as we reflect on this passage, we will see first and foremost that this command is a commission of grace. Second, we will see that it is a commission with authority. And finally, it is a commission for all disciples. I think the first thing the Lord is telling us this morning is that we really don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work. If you remember, the Great Commission actually comes in the context of the resurrection. It's a resurrection story. And so can you imagine what must have been going on in the disciples' minds as they heard from Mary Magdalene that early Sunday morning, Jesus is alive and he wants to meet you in Galilee. You see, just three days earlier, they, they saw their Lord crucified on a cross. They saw him die. And so they were probably thinking, how, how could it be that Jesus is alive and that he wants to meet us in Galilee? If you remember, the disciples at the time were in Jerusalem and Galilee was probably 60 to 70 miles away. And so it probably took them at least four or five days to get there. Can you imagine what they must have been talking about on, on the way as they traveled together? I can imagine their minds flashing back to the last time they were all together. Remember where that was? The Garden of Gethsemane. And maybe echoing in their ears were those words of their Lord. So you, you can't even keep watch with me for one hour. Rise, behold, my betrayer is at hand. And when the angry mob came with clubs and spears and swords. All of his disciples, all of his brothers, well, they fled. They abandoned him. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him in the courtyard of the high priest after that rooster crowed. And so I can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would, would meet Jesus filled with with conflicting emotions. Not only wonder and, and awe that, that maybe Jesus is alive, but quite honestly, also with fear and shame and guilt that they might have to face the one that they abandoned. 
when I was about 10 years old, uh, my brother, who's just about a year older than I, uh, and a neighborhood friend were playing at a nearby park. It's just a couple blocks from our house. And uh, I was probably about 10 years old at the time, and we were minding our own business, and these, these older neighborhood bullies were, were far away at the time, and they started teasing us, yelling at us. I think they were trying to throw water balloons at us. And being normally rascally uh, 10-year-old, uh, 11-year-old boys, we yelled back, not expecting what would happen. They started chasing after us. And so as soon as we started seeing them coming, we had our bicycles at the time there, and we hopped on our bikes, and we pedaled as fast as we could back home where it was safe. And uh, I would remember all this screaming, and I was screaming. My heart was, was beating quickly, and I was pedaling as fast as I could. And, of course, I was the first back home where it was safe. And my, my friend came uh, next to us, and, and, and then I looked back. And there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And all the screaming we heard was his screaming for us to come and to, to help. And sure enough, those, those bullies caught up with him and, and they took a couple cheap shots and they took off and, and there was my brother, just uh, humiliated, angry. Uh, he picked up his bike and he, he walked it that one block to where we were, sta- we were just standing there on the front lawn watching this whole scene unfold, uh, dumbfounded. Uh, he comes up, he, he takes his bike, he, he throws it down, he comes up to me and he slugs me in the stomach. He says, where were you? <laughs> Didn't you hear me cry for help? After this incident, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. (laughs) It only lasted a couple weeks. You see, we should expect Jesus to come to his disciples on that mountain right and to slug them. Or at least to say, where were you? But he doesn't. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. In fact, when he goes and he meets Mary Magdalene, what does he say to her? Go and tell my brothers. He still calls them his his brothers. And when they finally meet him on that mountain, he doesn't mention their failures. He doesn't mention their sins. Not even the fact that when some were standing before him, they were doubting him. It's a picture of God's grace. It's a picture of God's mercy. What did they deserve? Well, these disciples deserved to be abandoned. These disciples deserved to be denied before the Father. These disciples deserved to be excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke, Jesus, he forgives them. He enlists them into this service of seeing the kingdom advance. And so we see right here at the beginning a picture of God's incredible grace. And we ask ourselves, who are these disciples? Well, they're us. (laughs) We're just like them, aren't we? Hesitant, doubtful, sometimes full of shame, guilt, fear. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody that I respect, that I have offended, overlooks my offense and shows me grace, I can't help but respect that person even more. And when when he demonstrates to me that his 
affection for me is so secure. There's no strings attached for his love for me. I can't help but love him even more. And when I'm convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of him, that he sees me for who I am with all my failures, all my sins and all my brokenness and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. And so we ask ourselves this morning, where does passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion for our Lord who has showed and showered upon us grace upon grace. You see, this is not guilt trip motivation for missions, but that which springs from a sincere love and affection for our King, for our Lord. And so the more that we dwell upon God's grace for us, the more fuel that we add to missions fire in our hearts. And so, yes, beloved, we do not deserve to be a part of this great work of missions. None of us. And yet he still allows us this privilege by his grace. The second thing I believe the Lord is telling us this morning is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to engage in this kingdom building work. Why? It is because the one who sends us, says right here in our passage, has been given all authority both in heaven and on earth. And so that when we go, we go with his authority. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure we really believe this. Do we really believe that Jesus, who has been given all authority in heaven, gives it to us? And that we support and that we send and that we go with his authority? You know, when I talk to people about missions, um, oftentimes they fall into one of two categories. One is utter fear and anxiety. <laughs> when they think about missions. Think about how ill-equipped perhaps we are. We, we think about um, the fear of, of actually speaking to other people about this faith that we have or, or even begin to pray about whether God is calling us to missions. We are afraid. Even those who are called to send and support are often afraid to give beyond what's comfortable. So we should ask ourselves, do we, believe, do we really believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth and sends us with his authority? But what is the other extreme? On the one side, fear and anxiety, what would be the opposite? Being overly confident. Overly confident in our own strength, our own authority. Maybe some of us think because we're educated, because we're wealthy, because we're from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to us. We think somehow that authority resides within us. And so we do missions in our own strength and confidence. When we first came to the Philippines as, as new missionaries, I was visiting the, the Presbyterian Theological Seminary there. Just finished my doctorate had my PhD in hand, was thinking about all the time and effort and work that I put into it. And uh, finally, I was able to use it here at this school. Uh, so excited about it. I met some students 
And uh, they introduced themselves to me at the time. And uh, then they asked me, they said, uh, so what, what year in school are you here? <laughs> they thought I was a student. I was so offended. I was thinking, don't you know who I am? But of course they didn't. But, you know, as a missionary, you're not supposed to be so proud. So I tried to hide it and humble myself and said, well, actually, I don't go to school here. And, and then one replied, well, are you going to apply? <laughs> we need to ask ourselves some pretty hard questions. What kind of authority are we, are we basing our confidence upon? Worldly authority? Our education, our money, our power? Or do we fundamentally believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? And that we go and that we send and that we support with his authority? The truth is it's only by the authority of Christ that we can actually do anything of of lasting value for the sake of the kingdom. You know that phrase at the end of the Great Commission? What is that phrase? Behold, I am what? With you to the end of the age. I think sometimes we, we read that and we imagine Jesus somehow hovering over us as we go about the work of missions, but I don't think that's exactly what is being relayed here. Uh, you see, the promise that he gives of his presence is a promise of the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in us. The spirit that equips us, the spirit that empowers us. Do you believe this? You know, if, we, if this understanding of the spirit of Jesus living in us drops from our head to our heart, it does two things at the same time. It gives us incredible confidence and it gives us incredible humility. It should give us who are hesitant, who are doubtful, who are afraid, confidence knowing that Jesus, our King, is calling us to a task that cannot fail and giving us a power that has no bounds. At the very same time, it gives us humility to recognize it's not our authority, it's not our power, it's not our intelligence, our wit, our gifts, but it is only by the power of his spirit by which his kingdom advances. And so number one, the Lord is telling us we don't deserve to participate in this kingdom building work. Second, we don't deserve it and yet he commissions us by his grace. Second, he tells us we cannot do this work by our own authority, but we can by his. And finally, this morning, I believe the Lord is saying that, that we are all to be involved in this kingdom building work. All of us who calls themselves Selves, disciples of Jesus need to be involved, quite frankly, in making more disciples. And so what are those two main tasks that Jesus associates with disciple-making? The first, baptism. Second, teaching. Uh, why baptism? Now, baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. It requires this radical commitment that says, today I die, right? And I'm reborn by the power of the Spirit to live for Jesus. So you see, this whole idea of discipleship is not just helping new Christians become mature. It's, it's bringing people into the community of faith. Second is teaching. Why teaching? Teaching is the means that Jesus uses to grow and mature his disciples. 
says we are to teach others to obey everything that Jesus commands. But you see, part of teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands includes which commandment? This great commission commandment to go and make what? Disciples. And so you see, part and parcel of being a disciple then is to go and make disciples. Maybe some of you are saying, isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? You know, we're not ready for this. Of course, there is a role that pastors and elders have in the church in baptizing and teaching. But you see, we cannot get away from the fact that every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Christ, is called to participate in making more disciples. Four pastors uh, go to a restaurant and uh, when they're finally seated, the waitress comes over, she takes the menus, throws them on the table and says, what do you want? Uh, they are so dumbfounded by how rude and curt she is, the whole meal is ruined. Uh, finally, after they finish, they pay the bill and the most senior pastor calls uh, the waitress over. He wants to have a word with her. Uh, she comes over, stands there. He looks her right in the eye and he says, seems like you've had a really hard day. He hands her a $100 bill and says, here, take this as a gift. She is so overwhelmed by this undeserved act of kindness, she starts to cry and to weep and to pour out her heart and all the troubles that are in her life. And right there, the pastor shares the gospel with her in the restaurant. And she receives Jesus as her king, as her Lord, as her savior. Out in the parking lot, the, the pastor turns to his three colleagues and he tells them, now I want each of you to give me $25. <laughs> you see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some leading people to this radical commitment to follow Jesus and others, well, well, you know, faith promise, right? But of course, Jesus' teachings, what are they? Well, they're gospel teachings. So we don't teach uh, our disciples that they have to have somehow these perfect moral lives. Uh, discipleship is simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our life, to our marriage, to how we raise our kids, to how we think about our work. And so when the center of discipleship is on the gospel, the focus is less on us and more on who? Jesus. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. In fact, our message is that we are, are still so messed up and that we are broken and that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. We need forgiveness for our fears and our anxieties and our pride and help with our insecurities. We teach disciples that we are merely beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Now we can certainly be involved in making disciples here, here in our own hometown, certainly, as was mentioned earlier, nations have come here. But you see, the Lord is still calling his church to go. The Great Commission has not changed. And the Great Commission explicitly says for his church to go to other nations. Why? In order to fulfill God's redemptive purposes for the world. 
And so Jesus, our risen, exalted king, he hands us the baton. And he tells us, bring this message of the gospel. Bring this message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. You see, this task, it's not an option. It's not something we do if we have extra time. It is included in the very definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so you see, it helps define our purpose and calling here in this life as long as he would have us here. And so, Village 7 Presbyterian Church, do we respect our king? You see, our king, he has delivered us from the bondage of sin and the fear of death. Our king has made us free. And so let us respect our king and may his vision for the nations and for his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth be our vision as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can call you our Abba, Father, and that you hear us. Fill us, each one of us, with your Holy Spirit that we first and foremost would be committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace, that we would be disciples indeed and seek with all of our heart to make disciples here and across the globe. And we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.